Thank you, Reverend Bell, for that. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5, as we are in a series entitled For. This is the season for everything. There is a season. And we're in a crazy season. And I remember this past week, uh, I was talking to the Lord, saying, what are you doing in this crazy season? And I felt an unction in my soul that was consistent with who he is in Scripture. And as this, the Lord said to me, what am I doing in this crazy season? I'm remaining faithful in this crazy season. That, that, that's what I'm doing. I, I am remaining faithful. Seasons change, but I change not. And in a moment, I'm going to pray and talk to the God who has enough faithfulness for both of us, who has enough love for both of us. But first, I've got good news. On Tuesday, August 24th at 11.27 a.m., Naomi Josephine Clemens was born. Amen. Amen. To Jonathan and Adriana Clemens, um, we say congratulations to you. Um, she was in church last week, great with child, and the Lord uh, saw forth to bring Naomi into the world on Tuesday. Now, the Clemens family, they, they're so faithful because that woman did not allow the, the discomfort of the baby to cause her not to come to church and worship. Matter of fact, they might be here today. I don't know. Uh, but I thank God for that family. And, uh, and thank you, Strong Tower, for already reaching out to love on them, help them with meals or whatever they might need. Amen. Amen. So let me talk to the God who has enough faithfulness for both of us, for all of us. Let's pray. Oh, God, you change not. And that's good for us because we change. This world is not only changing, Lord, it's spiraling into decay. It's groaning to be clothed with a better version of itself. And we know that you will make a new heaven and a new earth. And our bodies are groaning to be clothed with a better self. And we know that we will receive a new body for those of us who know Jesus. We will receive a new body a body like his, for when we see him, we shall see him as he is, and we will be made like him. Thank you that, Jesus, you not only gave us your righteousness, but you're going to give us a body like yours that can live eternally and even endure the awesomeness of the brilliance of God the Father. Because at this time, no man has seen God because no one can survive having seen God. And even in the Bible, when you revealed your glory, it was veiled to men and women because you are a consuming fire. You dwell in unapproachable light. But there will come a day where we will see you. We will see your son. And we thank you for that hope that we have. We thank you for the saints who have gone on before. And we pray, Lord, thanking you that one day we will be with them and be with you. Until that time, would you show us how we are to make a difference in this earth for your name, for your glory, 
for your honor? Would you show us how we can be change agents? Would you show us how we can be ambassadors and salt and light and men and women who do not love their lives so much as to shrink back from suffering and pain and even death? Would you let us be reminded that when we lose our lives for you, Jesus, that's when we find it. And that, Lord God, your son came to give us life and life more abundantly. So, God, may we preach the gospel to ourselves today as believers before we even try to preach the gospel to unbelievers. Might we realize how loved we are. That, yes, you have a purpose for us that is bigger than our past, greater than our sin and our deficiencies. Your grace superabounds over every flaw and fault in our lives. You're a good, good God. And so, Lord, before we try to tell anybody else, might we believe it to be so today that you love your children. You've placed in us the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. We know that we know that we're your sons and your daughters. So, God, as we go out from this place today, May we go out singing a new song. Might we go out with new strength, new joy, new hope, a new mind, a new attitude, new perspective. And Lord, that can come through your word. So Lord, help me to teach and preach your word. Don't let me get in the way of what you want to say today. Lord, where I need to be pastoral, help me to be pastoral. Where I need to be prophetic, help me to be prophetic, to trust you and not worry or be concerned with what men and women say. Help me to be your instrument now. Help your people to hear your word. Those in the house, those online, those in this state, and those around the world. Speak, O oh God. Have your way. And when it's said and done, we will give you the glory. For there is no God like you. There is no God beside you. There is surely no God above you. Because you are the most high. And we worship you in spirit and in truth. Just stop on by here, O oh God. Breathe on this place. Breathe on these dry bones. Give us strength. Give us endurance to face today and tomorrow. We love you. We love you. We love you. And it's only because you loved us first and your love went all the way to Calvary. You stayed on that cross. You did not come down. You died, but you also rose. That is our hope today. We are Christ followers and we thank you in Jesus' name. And every believer in the house said... Every believer in the house said, amen, amen, amen. Just so I heard you, but I want to see you. If there's a believer in Jesus, can you just raise your hands right now? If there's a believer, can you just wave at your pastor? There's a believer. Hallelujah. I see some believers out there. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we are in Luke chapter 5. For everything, there is a season. Well, we are approaching the 20th anniversary of September 11th. The 20th anniversary of September 11th. 20 years ago, September 11th was on a Tuesday. And many of us remember that day, where we were and what we were doing. At that time, our church had an office on Ralston Lane in Franklin, Tennessee, and we had property there that we were thinking we would build upon. And there was this house where our offices were, and I would meet with the staff. And I remember going in on that fateful day. Um, the four planes crashed between 8.46 a.m. and 10.28 a.m. 
So it was constant, it was quick. It, 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 it kept coming at us. And as a result of this act of terror, 2,996 people were killed, including the 19 terrorists. There was a global shift that day. There was a global shift that day. And as a result of what happened 20 years ago, flying has never been the same, and flying will never be the same. Many of us are old enough to remember when you could go to the airport and if you weren't flying, but someone you knew was flying, you could walk all the way in to the gate and watch the plane take off and then go back. You didn't have to take your shoes off, take your belt off. You didn't have to do any of that. It, it was different then. It was a different culture. But because of that one day, everything shifted, not only in our country, but around the world. And when COVID-19 hit the world in February of 2020, there was also a global shift. So far to this day, 4,488,801 people have died from COVID-19. It was a shift, a pandemic felt around the world and we are still in that season. Nashville Mayor John Cooper said that in the past 30 days, 34 Nashvilleans have died of COVID-19. In the past 30 days, 34 Nashvilleans have died. 91% of those victims, according to the mayor, were unvaccinated. A global and cultural shift has been taking place and things are not what they used to be and dare I say they are not going back to what they used to be and this is why even in this hour we must pray for our leaders especially our governmental leaders our governor Bill Lee needs prayer I'm praying that he might humble himself and admit that he was wrong when he said that children don't contract COVID-19. And that belief from whatever scientists he got that from has been affecting the school system in the state of Tennessee ever since then because his beliefs influence his policies. And so because of his errant beliefs, those leaders who are on lower rungs in our society have decided to overrule the governor's folly and make the decisions necessary on local levels to protect our children. And I'm sitting here saying, man, I wish he would just come back and say, I was wrong. The data is showing, the lives that are broken are showing that I was wrong when I said children don't get COVID-19. Uh, it's as if he can't apologize. But let me take that back. No, it's that he won't apologize. No, he can. It's just a matter of if he will. Imagine if he humbled himself 
and said I was wrong. And imagine if he went back and said, let, let, let's figure out how to be proactive and solution-oriented with how we handle this pandemic in Nashville with our children and our school system. In the meantime, we pray for him and we also pray for everyone who make decisions on local levels where lives are challenged and changed because of this pandemic that is still upon us. May politics, partisan politics, not cause us to do what needs to be done. It's a shame. It's a shame what we see going on because a global and a cultural shift is taking place. Your country, your state, your city, your county, your community, your job, your life, and your church have felt this shift. And much of it, we don't know what's going on. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what to do. We're doing our best with the information we have, but we're in the midst of a season that is difficult. Now, last week, we preached on for everything there is a season from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Go back and listen to that message. I won't use my time today reviewing, but one thing that came out of that was seasons change. And sometimes we miss the new season because we don't want to make the change or the shift. Um, my family, what we do, Doreen and I especially, we put winter clothes away uh, once the winter season is over. And we bring out spring and summer clothes. And now that we're coming to the end of summer, we'll put away the spring and summer clothes and get the fall and winter clothes out of the attic. How foolish it would be if I came and preached to you today with a sweater on and corduroy pants. You would say, Pastor, you are out of season and you sweating up there when you don't need to be sweating. Because we have to learn how to adjust with the seasons. But there are some of us, no matter what is going on with the season, we're going to keep on wearing our corduroys and our sweaters because we have too much pride to change with the season. But I'm here to let you know that seasons change and we miss the new seasons because we don't make the shift. But here's what I want you to know. Whether we like it or not, whether we change or not, shift happens. Shift happens. Y'all pray that I keep saying the F. Shift <laughs> happens. We got a couple of cussing saints who don't mind. But, but shift. Shift happens. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at a shift. But here's what I want you to take away today. Number one, I want you to admit that shift happens. That seasons change. That's the first thing. And then secondly, I want you to locate Jesus in the shift. Because many times we don't think Jesus is in the shift. <laughs> but yes, he is. Locate him in the shift and then join him in the shift. Okay, so admit, acknowledge that shifts happen. Locate Jesus in the shift and then join him in the shift. That's what life is all about. So today's message is simply entitled Shift Happens. Shift Happens. And we're going to learn about a shift that happened in Luke chapter 5. 
Let me give you the immediate context of the verses we're going to look at today. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, it talks about how Jesus saw Levi or Matthew, who was a tax collector, at his job one day, sitting at the table of taxes, where he would collect taxes. And Jesus said to Levi, this tax collector, who in that culture, they were the lower rung of society. Uh, they, 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 they were sinful people because they robbed from their own people as they worked for the Roman government. So these people were looked down upon by the pious, pious Jews of the time. And here Jesus walks up to Levi, knowing how he's associated with a particular group of people, and it's not positive. And Jesus says to that sinner, that man who no doubt is wealthy, that man who was stolen from people, and he says to him, follow me. And the Bible says that Levi left everything, meaning that whatever money was on that table, he left everything and decided to follow Jesus. Now, he was so delighted and elated that the Messiah, the master, would love him and look past his sin and see his need and call him into family, call him into this cohort of 12 disciples. And he was so blown away by how his life had just changed because he heard the voice of the master and his soul responded with a yes that he says, I, I, I've got to throw a banquet for him. I got to show my appreciation by throwing a party for the Messiah. And he invited his friends. Well, who do tax collectors know? Other tax collectors, other sinners, other people who have been ostracized so much that they have become a subculture within the main culture of outcasts. So he calls those people to this banquet, to this party that was given in honor of Jesus. And Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, goes to that party. And not only does he go to that party, it says that this great feast that he sat down and he ate and he drank with those people that the Bible says it was a great number of tax collectors and others. Now, if you read the King James Version, tax collectors in the King James are called publicans. So Jesus had a banquet where these publicans, these sinners came. It's always good when publicans who are sinners can come and spend time with Jesus. I just wish republicans who are sinners would come and spend time with Jesus and let him reorient and reconstitute who they are. Doesn't mean Democrats ain't sinners either, but I'm coming right now because many of those who are making decisions in our immediate culture and context are conservative Christians who believe that Jesus is part of the Republican Party. We rebuke that nonsense in the name of Jesus. So that's the context. Jesus is at this banquet. And he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, verse 30. Then verse 31, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Because the religious crowd was wondering, why are you hanging with them? And Jesus lets them know, I came to call sick people, sinful people to repentance. 
And those of you who think you're righteous, you're so self-righteous that you can't see that you're just as sinful as these other folks. You can't see that you're just as sick as these other folks. But Jesus says, I know who I came for. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save sinners from sin. Now we pick it up in verse 33. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? So they came. Who is they? Well, according to the context, they happens to be the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. They come up to Jesus who was just at this banquet eating and drinking along with his disciples with all of these sinners who have been exposed to the love of Jesus Christ because their boy Levi got converted. And so they, the Pharisees and the disciples of John, come up to him and say, uh, uh, why do your disciples not fast like we do? In other words, what they're saying, why are your disciples not holy like we are? Why are your disciples not spiritual like we are? Why are your disciples not disciplined and committed like we are? Because we fast. But your guys are eating and drinking, and not only that, they're doing it with sinners. So they're coming to the master in a spirit of legalism, yeah, of self-righteousness. Because in their mind, if you're not doing it our way, you're not doing it God's way, and our way is God's way, which means your way is not. Because we fast and we pray, but your guys don't. In other words, our way is righteous. Our way is holy. Our way is God's way and your way is not. And that's how you know you're around a legalist when they say that the things they do are the things you need to do. Or the things that they don't do are the things you don't need to do. And they will try to assign either guilt or righteousness based on your outward activity of conforming to their laws or their interpretation of the laws. Legalism came upon these guys and they walked up to Jesus saying, our way is God's way and your way is the wrong way. Now, I need you to notice something here that John the Baptist's disciples had more in common with Pharisees than with Jesus and his disciples. I'm putting that in there for a pen. Don't, 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 don't leave that thought. Now, 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 when they come to him, they have more in common with Pharisees who are self-righteous zealots, opinionated, ungodly men. The, the disciples of John had more in common as far as outward rigid asceticism or rule-keeping than they did with Jesus and his disciples. Matter of fact, they're trying to one-up Jesus and his disciples by saying, how come your guys don't fast or disfigure their faces to let everyone know that they're fasting and, and going around moaning? And, and, you know, when we fast, we're in a place of grief and sorrow. Well, how does Jesus respond to this? He says in verse 34, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast? 
while the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. So here's what's going on. How come you guys aren't fasting, Jesus? How come they're not spiritual? Jesus says, well, let me tell you something. Um, They're with the bridegroom right now. Uh, And when you're with the bridegroom, that's not a time of sorrow. That is a time of celebration. Uh, uh, Now, you guys are sad, John the Baptist disciples. Why? Because your leader has been arrested because he spoke out against Herod being, uh, uh, having an affair with his brother's wife. And, and, and John the Baptist spoke out, and he was arrested for that. And so because of that, and you not knowing his face, y'all should be fasting because your leader is gone. But their leader is with them, and there will come a time later to fast, which is what he's going to say in verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. In other words, don't try to rain on our party because y'all are sad and acting spiritual. No, my guys will not succumb to the spirit of legalism as you try to put that on us. And so what Jesus is saying To the disciples of John, a shift from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry is now taking place. A shift is going on. Now, John's ministry was very, very, very important to the scope of redemptive history. Because when Malachi closes in chapter 4, he says that Elijah is going to come before the Lord comes. And Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of the father towards the children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. And so when Malachi is closed, there is a 400-year silent prophetic gap, meaning that no one has heard a prophetic word for 400 years when Malachi closes. And during this 400-year time, when we look back, between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, this 400 years, a lot of stuff has been going on. Uh, The Greeks lose power to the Romans, yet Greek culture, Hellenism, is still a part of the then-known world. The road systems are beefed up and established more. Also, during this time, we see the the rise of uh, 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 synagogues. Because the temple had been destroyed. And and we're going to see synagogues being put all over the place. And out of that will come these sects called the Pharisees. During that 400 years, the Sadducees will come. During that 400 years, and the Essenes will come. The Essenes don't get a lot of play, but that's where John the Baptist comes from. These were desert dwellers. These were people who were very, very pious. So, So they lived in the desert. So when there was this... Uh, coming of the angel and he goes to Elizabeth and to her husband Zechariah and he says that you're going to have a son who will basically be the forerunner for the Messiah because we're in the age where the Messiah is coming now and your son will be the forerunner to introduce him and uh, he's not to eat anything uh, unclean drink alcohol, and so he was part of the Nazaritic community, part of the Essene holy community that lived in the wilderness and the desert. This is John. So when John starts speaking, repent, 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's out at the Jordan baptizing, preparing people to come. It was a significant moment. And they would come and ask him, are you the Christ? And he would say, no, I'm not the Christ. Matter of fact, I'm not worthy to carry his shoes. The one who's coming behind me is technically before me. Repent. I'm baptizing you with water, but there is coming one who will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. Speaking of judgment. And so John, he caused a stir. But dig it, his voice was the first prophetic voice after 400 years of no prophetic voice. Which is why Jesus would say he was the greatest among women. He was more than a prophet. John has significance. But John's ministry was to be encased in a particular season. And when that season was over, his disciples could not accept that a shift was happening. From John's ministry to Jesus' ministry. You see, there was a purpose in John's ministry. It was like the purpose of the law. The law and John's ministry were meant to show people their sin and to lead them to Jesus. That was the purpose. A new dispensation or a shift had begun. And there would be no mixing of the old dispensation with the new dispensation. I hope you're following me that there was a season for John that was fruitful, necessary. But like all good seasons, they must come to an end. And as we're going to see, to make way for a better season found in the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let me go back and hit this one more time. They come to Jesus and say, we fast often along with the Pharisees, but you eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, Jesus, the bridegroom, I'm here. They're enjoying me. There's going to come a time, verse 35, where I will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. But right now we're not fasting. But in order to illustrate what he's saying, that a shift is happening, that a new season is coming, verse 36, he's going to give two parables or two illustrations. Verse 36, then he spoke a parable to them. Who's them? John the Baptist's disciples and even the Pharisees who came. And he says to them, to reinforce his point, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So here the Lord is giving an illustration about a new garment. And what he's saying is that the old garment has a hole in it. It has a tear in it. What's the old garment? The ministry of John the Baptist. Even the way the Pharisees had been doing ministry as they were birthed during the 400 silent years, there's a hole, a tear in what they do. John's garment of ministry, though good, had a hole in it. Repent, turn, get ready because the Messiah is coming. His ministry could not give people everything that they needed to be right with God. His ministry, like the law, pointed you to the Christ. It showed you your sin, but it couldn't fix your sin or help you with your sin. There was a hole in his ministry. And Jesus is saying, you cannot patch up the old garment with a piece from the new garment. 
The two fabrics don't match and the tear or the hole will get worse because the two pieces of fabric are incompatible. They will pull apart. And what Jesus is saying here, you cannot combine the two dispensations. You can't combine the two ministries. John's ministry had a purpose. Now my ministry is far greater than his. But his disciples, John's disciples, I'm not sure if they got the message. Jesus is saying that he came to bring a new covenant and not patch up the old covenant. You cannot combine, here it is, man's righteousness with God's righteousness. Because with Jesus' new covenant, he's going to impute righteousness to the sinful. But the old covenant shows man that his righteousness is sinful and he needs God's righteousness. There's a hole in the old and it should point to the new. But Jesus is saying, look, we're not going to combine these two of law and grace. No, 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 no. Uh, matter of fact, let, let me give you another illustration, and it's found in verse 37. He says, just in case you don't get the thing with, with trying to patch up the, the old with the new. Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. So in that culture, when they would go through what is called the fermenting process of making wine, they would take leather from an animal, no doubt a cow or something like that, and they would have these uh, uh, flexible, flaccid uh, cases. They would then pour the new wine into that skin, that case, and over time, the wine would expand, it would ferment, there would be combustion, it, it would literally almost explode as it was fermenting. And as it did that, the, 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 the new wine skin would mold itself around the new wine that was agitating and growing and expanding. Uh, the, the case would evolve and, and it, it would uh, 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 work with the wine. And once the wine fermented, the, the, the wine skin that expanded would become hard. And so people could drink out of the wine skin. But when you had new wine, you didn't want to take the new wine, another you know, uh, uh, batch of new wine, and pour it into the old skin. Because when the fermentation process would begin to work, it would expand and start expanding and then rather than the wineskin being flexible to expand with the wine, it was already formed and rigid. So the new wine would burst the wineskin, ruining the skin and also spilling on the ground, losing the wine. So Jesus is giving them an illustration that they can understand. And he's saying that no one with common sense puts new wine in an old wineskin because the process of fermentation will burst the old skins. The old skins cannot contain the new wine. New wine must be put into new wine skins. Simple, but obviously hard to grasp and apply. Jesus is saying that John's ministry had expanded to its full capacity and it cannot contain the new work that Jesus is about to do. It had a purpose. It was good. But here comes the new wine of ministry. 
I'm setting you up because I want to show you something with how hard it is for us to make a shift because we're so used to something. That we become rigid, inflexible, immovable because we're used to something that was good. But God is doing a new thing. He's always up to something new. Something that's going to stretch us and grow us. But many times we don't like to be stretched. We don't like to grow because we like to remain comfortable with where we are. But God is saying, I must stretch you because you don't grow when you're comfortable. You grow when you're stretched. Mm, mm, mm. And the thing about the God who's over the seasons, we don't know when a growing or a stretching season is coming. But that's why we have to trust him when we're in that season. So Jesus gives a conclusion in verse 39. He says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. (laughs) And Jesus is going back to this group saying, look, let me go back to to drinking, you know, because I know y'all don't really like drinking because, you know, John the Baptist had this Nazaritic vow. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, That when John came, he did not come eating or drinking. You know, he had that special diet of locusts and wild honey, so he didn't eat all the other stuff, and he didn't drink alcohol. So your your discipler came not eating and drinking, and they still said he had a demon. But here comes the son of man, Matthew 11. I came eating and drinking. And they said, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. So folk won't talk about you no matter what. Okay? Just be, just be okay with who you are. Because watch this. Both John and Jesus came. They came differently. One didn't drink and eat. One did drink and eat. They both came from the same God. Which means that there can be difference in the body of Christ over secondary issues. Some come believing this, some come believing that, but we both come from God, I hope. But no matter what, they're going to talk about you. Don't worry about them. And so Jesus is like, y'all are stuck on this thing and we don't drink. So let me give y'all some illustrations about drinking because y'all really need to be freed up. Uh, you know. So anyway, so, so let me give y'all some illustrations on this. But y'all have the audacity to say that we'd rather stick with the old wine because the old wine is better than the new wine. Ah, no, 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 no. Remember in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine? They had been having this feast, this uh, celebration at this wedding. They ran out of wine. Mary's mother, who may have been the directress of the wedding, says, um, go, go to him, and, and he, he can help us. Jesus just says, uh, go and fill those empty pots up with water. Then take it to the governor, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the guy who's over the wedding. And, uh, and so, so, so they do that. And he doesn't say, I'm going to turn it into wine. They have to walk by faith on what he just said. So they take the water, which had been turned to wine, and gives to the guy who's over the whole thing. He tastes it, and he says, this stuff is better than the stuff we're drinking now. Because what people normally do is they put the good stuff out first. Then when your taste buds deaden because you get a buzz and all that kind of mess, then they pull out the cheap liquor after that. 
But what you've done, Jesus, you've messed the whole process up. You brought the good stuff out last. You saved the best for last. In other words, what Jesus does with wine is better than what they can do with Boone's Farm. What Jesus... <laughs> Maybe three of y'all got that. What Jesus can do with wine. Oh my goodness. And so you may want to hold on to the old, saying that the way we did it is better. You know, you know, hey, we, I'm part of that committee that says um, we don't change at church. That, that's the committee I'm on, because the way we did it back in the day is the best way to do it. And you're getting passed up because the world that you say you want to reach is moving in a direction that you refuse to go in because you're so holier than thou, saying that the old way is better. You know, if I can't turn the pages, I don't call that a Bible. But then other folk got Bibles on their phones. And, and you know what? If you got a Bible on your phone and you read it, it's better than having a Bible on your coffee table and it sit there picking up dust. But, but before there was a Bible, there was a scroll. Imagine if the scroll people said, I'm not going to no Bible. I like to unfold the word and read it. There's change that occurs in seasons. Technology moves. But some of us are so spiritual. The old way is better. Man. You ever go into a church and feel like you step back into the civil rights movement? Man, okay, I dig it. That was a great time, but we can upgrade this. We, we can come along and, and, and not throw off our holiness. So Jesus is saying, look, look now, I know some of y'all, y'all going to always say, the old is better. Because for some people, the old wine or the old way will always be better than the new wine. You got to make the shift, though. Dorena reminded me of this at the table yesterday. I was just discussing this with her. And she said, Chris, you remember when we came to Nashville in 1992. I came here, we came here to do music. I was a Christian rapper. Our company was here, record label. That's the only reason we came to Hee Haw Land. That's the only reason we came. Keep it 100 with you. My dad used to watch Hee Haw. Mini Pearl and all them with the price tag falling off her hat. Uh, Roy Clark. Oh, that's what I thought Nashville was. Like Nashville. But my record company was here. So I came because we graduated from school and we're ready now to go on a tour and become huge gospel artists for the Lord. You know, Christian stars, if you will. And I got here and I realized quickly that that season was over. I've been in ministry rapping for six years. That ministry was over, but God had to shift me and get me to Nashville because I never would have come to Nashville. So when I saw that the shift was changing, that I got tired of traveling. You know, we would travel, you know, and, and get in a van and go places. And, and man, I used to love it. But after a while, man, I got tired of that. He was changing my desires. I just got married. I didn't want to leave my wife all the time, going away, going out here making $200 and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, I'm tired of this. And then we lost our record contract. And so the guys in the band are like, we're going to find another contract. I'm like, okay, okay, all right, let, 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 let's see what we can do. Uh, in the meantime, I got to pay for things. I got to feed my family. Gotta do, and I'm like, man, I don't know about this rap season. And the Lord was putting it on my heart. 
It's time. It's up. It's over. Leave. And I said, Lord, the other brothers don't feel that way. They, they, they want to keep going. And, and, and Lord was like, it's time for you. Your time is up. And so I'm wrestling with the Lord saying, what if I leave the group and then the group blow up? And get big. And, and I, I leave the group and I'm watching them. They on television and doing stuff. And Lord was like, don't worry about that. You leave. So when I started saying to the guys, I want to leave, they were like, no, that's not what I'm hearing from God. One of the men's father even spoke up and said, no, no, the Lord's hand is on your ministry. Y'all need to keep doing it. But the Lord was telling me it's over. I was afraid. But I made the shift. I pulled a Bobby Brown and I stepped out of Transformation Crusade. I said, I don't know if they're going to blow up or not, but I got to go. Because God was tilting my heart from evangelism to discipleship. I started walking with people and not just leading people to Jesus in one city and going to the next. That work has its place as long as you're working with local churches that can disciple people once you evangelize them. But I got tired of doing evangelism, bringing people in. I want to grow people up. He was shifting my heart to do the thing I said I would never do, and that's be a pastor. I I was in the season. It was a shift. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll step out. And I'm so glad I stepped out into the new season. I made the shift to the new season because that season led to what I'm doing now. And then after I stepped out, the other brother said, okay, if Chris ain't going to be here, we might as well go ahead and let it go. So I was kind of like, okay, all right. So anyway, (laughs) yeah, most of the Jews prefer the old way of doing things. And they refuse the new way that Jesus offered. The new way, the new wine that Jesus offers is always better. And remember now, as I bring this to a close, the the Holy Spirit is referred or compared to wine in the Bible. You remember that, right? We're talking about wine. Jesus is talking about wine. The new is better, and the old cannot contain what is about to burst forth through the new. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit It's compared to wine. What's going on here? On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit, Jesus poured out the Spirit on the church, and they became so exuberant uh, exuberant and, and celebratory that they went out on the streets, and the people said, they are drunk with wine. Peter said, y'all, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. That's not wine. That's what the prophet Joel spoke about when he said that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is what we're seeing. And he said that would happen in the last days. The church was birthed and and inaugurated the last days. And so you see the spirit moving on all people now. New wine. Making them happy. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives you joy that wine can't give you. He gives you courage that alcohol can't give you. He gives you peace that wine can't give you. Don't be drunk with that. Be drunk with him. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God in your life. Let him saturate you. Let him soak you. Let him change you. Let him fill you. Let him have your way because you'll start saying stuff you never thought you could say sober. You'll start dreaming stuff you could never dream sober. You'll start walking in ways you could never walk, quote unquote, sober. Let the spirit just have its way. And Jesus is saying the spirit is coming. John said Jesus would baptize with the spirit. 
But why aren't his disciples accepting of the newness or the spirit that Jesus is bringing in? Could it be that John's disciples were more committed to John than they were to the one John announced? Jesus talked about the spirit. John said it. So here he comes bringing the spirit, but these guys don't want the spirit. They don't want the new thing that Jesus is doing. They have to be more committed to John than to Jesus. And it's a shame when you run into Christians who are more committed to their denomination than to Jesus. They're more committed to their church than to Jesus. They're more committed to their pastor than to Jesus. They're more committed to their political party, their country, than they are to Jesus. And John's disciples, the majority of them, didn't make the shift. Pastor, how do you know? Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, beginning at verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit, the wine, when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Who are these disciples? And he said to them in verse 3, into what then were you baptized? So they said into what? John's baptism. These are disciples of John the Baptist who have not heard about the new wine of the Holy Spirit. So they're living limited lives because they're not even true believers yet. Verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So again, they're more committed to John and rules and rigid holiness than understanding what grace and, and God's imputed righteousness and how his love liberates them. They're in an old dispensation. They're stuck. Now, pastor, when did this happen? According to theologians, this is at least 20 years after Pentecost. At least 20 years so it occurred between 80, 53, and 55. So 20 years after the fact, you got disciples of John running around with no joy, with no Holy Spirit, never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And here comes Paul. And he says, okay, y'all are disciples. Have y'all heard? No, we haven't heard. Let me tell you about Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, heard what? the message of Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit, the wine, came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Here's God being merciful. Y'all could make the shift when my son was with you. And you lived over 20 years without this new wine and this new power this grace, but I'm going to send my servant through there to meet y'all, to give you the gospel, set you free so you can experience the Holy Spirit and the new wine that comes. But 20 years ago, they couldn't make the shift. 
Pastor, how do you know? How do you know? I said the majority of John's disciples stayed with him. John came to introduce Jesus, but John maintained a following. So when John got locked up, his disciples came and told Jesus, he's locked up. John had disciples. But some of his disciples, two in particular, made the shift. And they left John, the old garment, <laughs> the old wineskin, and they went with Jesus, the new robe of righteousness and the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Two of them made the shift. I, I got to go back to John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 35. Oh, this is so good. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. So two of them saw the shift, made the shift. But the majority of John's disciples did not make the shift. Verse 38, then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. You see the specificity of that? We hung with him at the 10th hour. I'll explain that in a moment. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So two guys are with John the Baptist. One of them is Andrew. John the Baptist says, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Andrew said, I'm following him. I'm leaving you. I'm stepping out of this season. I'm following him. Who's the other one? The one who gave you that parenthetical comment to tell you what time it was. It was about 10. Who wrote this gospel? John. So it was John who would become John the Apostle or the beloved disciple. It was him and Andrew who were hanging out with John the Baptist because they were looking for the Messiah. So when John says there he is, they leave John and follow Jesus. But there's some folk who can't leave where they were to follow Jesus. Where they were was good. It, it, it helped bring them to Jesus, but, but they just can't leave it. They can't make the shift. But Andrew and John had the courage and the conviction to make the shift. My question to you is, do you? When Jesus is shifting, we can try to stay holy in a holy huddle as Christians and be irrelevant to a world that needs hope. Or we can try to figure out how do we reach folk in the 21st century with 21st century bait. The hook is the gospel, but we got to shift the bait the way we do things or else we will be irrelevant, but there's nothing irrelevant about my God. He's a right now God with a right now word, with a right now love for people who need him right now. I'm so glad that Andrew and John made the shift. And I just want to say this. You might need to make a shift from where you're working to go to another place to work but you're afraid because you're comfortable with the old. I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm saying you've been praying to God for a new door, a new opportunity. Then when God starts giving it, now you start becoming overly rational. 
Remember when Peter, they prayed for Peter to get out of prison? Oh, Lord, free Peter from prison. They, they, Herod just killed James, Lord, free Peter. God sends an angel, frees Peter, brings him to the door where the church is praying. Peter knocks on the door. Rhoda looks out and says, it's Peter. It's his ghost. They didn't believe when God put the blessing, the answer to prayer on the doorstep. You've been praying, praying, praying. Then when God puts it on the doorstep, now it's a ghost. I don't really believe it. Let me, I got to be certain. I, I, I don't know. And you stay stuck in an old place in an old season because you're afraid. Or what about a church? God is telling some of y'all here and online, Strong Tower is your church and Chris Williamson is your pastor. But you can't leave. <laughs> you, I don't know. It's different. They, they don't do communion this way. They don't do the altar call this way. They don't have a choir. Not a choir, a choir. I don't know if I can be with them. All that black and white injustice talk. But God is saying, this is your pastor and this is your church. But you don't have the courage or the conviction to shift with the season. And you're going to stay where you are, stunted in your growth. Because this is different. No, it's not. It's just new. Yeah. New to you. Or some of you may, God may be saying, you know what? Your season at Strong Tower is over. You've gotten what you need from this ministry. It's time for you to move on. And some of you are stuck here because you just like it. It's comfortable. When God shifts, shift with him. Pastor, how do we apply this message? I said it at the beginning. Admit that shift happens. God won't leave you in the same place. Admit the shift happened. Locate Jesus in the shift. When Peter got out of the boat, he was like, Lord, is that you out there? And the Lord was like, yeah, it's me, come on. And he got out the boat. He had to locate Jesus in the storm so that he could do what he had to do and walk on water. And I'm just saying, locate where he is. Which means we got to open up our mindset of how we see Jesus. That Jesus is not bound by tradition as much as we love tradition and find comfort in tradition. He's always doing a new thing. But that doesn't mean he changes. He changes not, but what he does changes. Find him, locate him, and then join him. And it will, the new wine is so much better. The new wine is so much better. The new garment is so much better. But you'll never know if you don't make the shift.